so good. Uh, if you got the chance to go on that trip, you, you know just how powerful that time is. And uh, we've got two trips uh, planned for next year, one in April and one in November. So I, I'd begin praying now, like, is this something the Lord's stirring you to get engaged with? Uh, but know that when you give through the arrival, that's actually what you're, you're giving. That house is paid for through the arrival. And so this is one of the examples of, uh, of how we leverage kind of who we are for, for other people. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, uh, I just want to thank you for taking time to be with us and risking stepping into a new community of people. Uh, that can be a scary thing, rightly so. We are pretty scary people. Uh, in fact, you may know what you're getting yourself into, and it's still scary to show up here on a Sunday morning. So I'm just grateful that we have, have time to be together. We're in the final week of a series on generosity, and we've been examining this act of grace by the early followers of Jesus to care for uh, a need during a really, really hard time in the first century, when the world back then was literally falling apart. I mean, it was quite literally just a horrible, horrible time to live in Jerusalem. And during that time, believers in Jesus were asking the question, what can we do to help? That was the posture of a follower of Jesus amidst tragedy. What can we do to help? Uh, I want to briefly acknowledge um, what may be an elephant in the room as we have walked through this series together on generosity, combined with all of these invitations to step in and serve. Uh, last week, I was sitting here in the front row listening to announcements, and I thought to myself, man, we've got a lot going on. And, and there's so many things uh, to, to do, and there's so many asks that are being given during the holiday season. Help here, sign up here, serve here, jump in here, give here, get ready to give here. I mean, it's just kind of a constant. Anybody else feeling that? That's right. It feels a little bit like, oh, it, does it stop? And, and I absolutely believe in every single thing that we promote I, wholeheartedly. All of it is incredibly important. But maybe... Maybe you're here this morning or maybe you've been here the last couple of weeks and you're coming into service and you're actually uh, overtaxed and overcooked and, and maybe overwhelmed. And maybe you're looking for a little bit of peace in this season, like some rest. <laughs> and, and I just want to remind you and remind all of us that God's heart for us is not to pile on more responsibilities to crush us and, and to overdraw from us, and that is not, that is not the heart of God. He, he calls us to leverage our lives, but he also calls all who are weary and heavy laden to come to him because he gives us rest. And, and that's the good news today. We get to come before God and experience a rest that's supernatural and, and maybe today that's what you need. You don't need another reminder of how to say yes to Jesus and giving your time, talent, resources. You just need to come to Jesus and say, here I am. This is what you got. <laughs> and I'm going to lay it down for you this morning. Because our God is truly a good shepherd. Who knows all of his sheep and all of our needs. And he can provide for us this morning. Amen. I want to take a minute to just uh, be still in God's presence, and then I'll pray for us.
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases, who redeems our life from the pit, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Lord, we come before you today, uh, people in need of your grace and presence. We thank you for your faithfulness this morning. We work hard to show up, but you're always showing up. Um, we choose to rest in that today. Rest in your goodness and your provision in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, grab your Bible or your phone. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Last week, uh, we reviewed the end of 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul organized uh, the right people and kind of the proper accountability to deliver this financial gift from, from up north down to Jerusalem to people who are desperately in need of resources. And it was an incredibly dangerous mission because there's a famine in the land, so you just picture just the the weight of what these people are doing, they're not only offering their finances, but some of them put their lives on the line carrying this gift from up north down to Jerusalem. I'll show us the map again we looked at last week. Uh, Paul is, is writing from the top of the map, and he's speaking to Corinth, which is circled there, and they're talking about making a collection amongst all these churches and then traveling hundreds of miles all the way down to Jerusalem. Now, for some of you, it may seem rather strange that we would look at a story that's a couple thousand years old uh, like this and spend weeks studying it. Maybe you're newer to the faith or newer to the scriptures, and it's like, how does this stuff actually relate to my life? But every letter and every story that we read in the scriptures is a testimony of God's goodness and God's provisions and God's grace at work in the world. And as believers, our desire is to align our lives to God's purposes in our world. That, we're, we're trying to submit our hearts to follow the way of Jesus. That's the goal. Just like the early followers of Jesus, we want to pray, God, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. Whatever that looks like. And I find a text like 2 Corinthians beneficial and very relevant to our experience because as first century believers were looking around at a very difficult circumstance in their world, they again were asking the question, what can we do to help? How can we serve? And as a group of believers, followers of Jesus in 2023 in Oak Harbor, we're looking out at our world locally nationally, globally, and we're seeing plenty of things that are, are broken or hurting, people suffering all across the world. And, and our response as believers is the same as the early believers. Lord, how would you work through us? We're here, to, we're here for you. It's your kingdom. And so how, how would you work through our lives? We're asking the same question. As we read in chapter 9, the Apostle Paul believed wholeheartedly in this mission. He gave his entire life for it. And this letter is an effort to inspire and to fan into flame the kind of activity that I just talked about. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 1 says this. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness 
of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Have you ever been inspired to uh, do something, like moved, and then within a matter of hours or maybe days or weeks, that just kind of, and then you don't actually do, do it? Anybody? If not you, then at least somebody you know has experienced this, right? Where you get super inspired, you're moved by something, you're like, I want to be all about this. I think it happens on a regular basis. It happens for me on a regular basis. I, I get inspired easily. I like to read and find out what's going on in the world, and I get so stoked and fired up. And then sometimes, like a month later, it's like, what, what even happened? Right? When I first moved to Whidbey Island, I had this huge passion to understand Navy life, Navy culture. And so I kind of went on a deep dive, and I asked friends who were in the Navy, like, give me some resources. Give me some books. Help me to understand. And they just passed them out, and I just devoured them. And I was so inspired and, and learning, and, and it was awesome. But then the next year, I was like, huh, diet and exercise seems interesting to me. And so I went a completely different direction, and I started devouring all these, like, Michael Pollan books and weird books that I wouldn't recommend necessarily. And I got super, super stoked and inspired by people eating clean diets and what, all that stuff. But here's the bottom line. Both those piles of resources and books... I mean, I was fired up. You can ask Katie. Like, I would come home and just, like, super excited about whatever I was diving into in that moment. But, but here's the truth. I never signed up for boot camp. <laughs> and sugar is still a staple in my diet. Inspiration. Like, full, uh, fully inspired, but there wasn't a whole lot of really action that followed the inspiration. You, you, you with me? Paul, I think in 2 Corinthians 9, he's... He seems to be addressing this aspect of our human nature because he reminds Corinth of their inspiration to be a part of this gift. He reminds them like, hey, remember how stoked you were to help us out, to to care for the people in Jerusalem? He then appears to be a little passive aggressive, if you notice that. He says, it would be embarrassing if my friends showed up to receive this gift that you were so inspired about and then you didn't actually have it. That would be humiliating. That's what he says, like, that would be humiliation for for all of us involved. So he says, I I hope that you weren't just talking a big talk, but not walking the walk. And then he softens it at the end. He says, but here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to send some people ahead of the actual ones that are collecting the gift, and they're going to get you ready to do what you said you were going to do so that nobody's humiliated and everybody wins. (laughs) That's, That's what's happened in the text. Paul is just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out so that we don't look like fools here. And also our friends in Jerusalem have food on the table. After doing a little arm twisting, he then offers some teaching on generosity. Verse 6. 
The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap (coughs) bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Last week I brought up that Bad theology can be one of the reasons we get confused about uh, giving or generosity. And I think this section of Scripture is actually one of those that can be put through a filter of kind of modern culture and then twisted to be something I don't think it was ever intended to be. Here's the cultural, here's the cultural principle. If you put the time in, if you put the effort in, if you put enough of an investment in, you'll get a return on your investment. Everybody with me? You give and you sacrifice, why? So that you can get a a return on your investment, so that you can get more back. And this worldly principle is pretty sound, I'd say it's effective. Um, But is this what Paul is encouraging us to do? Is he suggesting that generosity is an investment strategy for greater gains? Maybe you've heard somebody teach that. I I don't think this is what he's suggesting because you can actually do all that without God. You can invest your funds. You can invest your time in it. And God is not actually included in the conversation at all. You can live without any regard for God. I know plenty. I have plenty of friends who are not followers of Jesus that are following this principle really well. What Paul is encouraging all of us to do, and and these early believers, is to live a life that's submitted to God. A life surrendered to God. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little is not a measure of your success. Whether your heart is surrendered to God, that's the win in the kingdom of God. Paul reminds the believers in Corinth and us today that God is the ultimate provider. He's the one that extends grace into our lives and provision each and every day. He's the one meeting our needs at all times. And I I love the end of verse 8. So that we may abound in every good work. Paul says that when we sow... It's important to keep in mind who's giving us the seed. We have to remember who's actually providing for us. We, we're just stewards in the story. We're caretakers of God's stuff. God called us to offer what we've been given for his purposes that are beyond all of us. And then verse 7, Paul says, you've got to sort this out in your own heart. Each of you has to decide 
in your own heart how to give. Don't, don't give because you're pressured or coerced or forced. Don't, and don't give with a bad attitude. As Zach said in the first week, God is not hurting for resources. God is not like in heaven looking down upon us this morning going, oh man, I really hope enough comes in. I don't know if I'm going to make ends meet. This that's not that the Lord is not lacking. He has offered us this incredible gift of being a part of what He's doing in the world. What a privilege to to get to serve the Lord in this way, to be a part of His kingdom moving forward. He includes us in the joy of giving. Uh, for all of us, it's a hard issue to get sorted out. And it's not an easy one to get sorted out. Can I get an amen on that? Come on, all of us have to uh, wrestle this one. That, that's why Martin Luther said there's three conversions that take place in our lives. He says, first, our hearts have to be converted. Then our minds have to be converted. And then our purses or our pocketbooks have to be converted. And I'm sure he could... He could say that and preach that because it was true in his own life. I think it's very true. Jesus himself spoke to the difficulty of sorting this out by saying, it's impossible to serve both God and money. Because we're either chasing after the dollar or we're chasing after the Lord. But watch what happens when we get this sorted out. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is so powerful. Why does God multiply the seed, according to Paul? For more sowing. And what does the increase look like? It's meant to increase the harvest of righteousness. Think about this. He's, he's talking about right living. The more that we align our hearts to the way of Jesus, the more we operate in right living before other people and before God. So, so the principle of just giving of ourselves, we're just following our Savior Jesus in the way that he lived. And, and Paul says this just increases righteousness on the earth. So let's do a quick heart check. At this point in your journey, don't think about your neighbor. At this point in your journey, where is your heart with the Lord when it comes to your resources? There's no shame or condemnation in this question. It's just something to consider if this text holds weight in our lives. Do we consider ourselves owners or stewards? Big question. I'll tell you what can happen in my heart when I'm asked a question like this. Or I'm, I'm sitting listening to some dude like me talking about this. I can get all introspective and hard on myself. I'm guessing this maybe has happened with some of you as we walk through this series. I start looking at my clothes and my shoes and my car and I go, I don't need any of this. 
Do I really need any of this? And then I get extreme. Uh, I go to extremes. I'll come home and be like, Katie, we're giving it all away. Everything's going. We're selling the house. We're selling all of our clothes. It's going to be amazing. And Katie's just very, she's much wiser than I am. She just kind of lets me work, work it out. And then I finally get to a place where I say, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? Because that's the conversation that needs to happen. You see, it's really about what we have or don't have. It's not about how much you have or how much I have or how much we don't have. It's about keeping what we have before the Lord. It's about saying, Lord, what, do you, what would you do with what you've given me? How do you want me to leverage what I have? Because that's what I want to abide in. It's not evil to have material things. It's not, material things are not good or evil. They're just things. It's not wrong to have a house or a car or to eat a meal. Those are beautiful things. What's not good is when we as followers of Jesus stop including God in the conversation about our resources. You see, if God was to stir in my heart to sell our house, and he confirmed it through Katie's prayers and through the people that pray with us, I guess it's time to sell our house. It's confirmed in, in the presence of community, and, and we agreed in the Lord together, then, then we respond, and if we don't, then we're being disobedient. And so it's about keeping our hearts before the Lord, saying, what, what would you have? Where are you directing me today? What I love about living life together in this community is that there's countless stories of people submitting their hearts just like I described. I mean, every week I hear a story or I connect with one of your stories of you just saying, this is what the Lord, I sense the Lord doing, and it's been confirmed to somebody else, and you're leveraging your life for other people. It's powerful. And just in the last week alone, there's a handful of stories of people saying, man, God moved me to do this, and I did it. <laughs> and it's always worked that way. People listening and responding to the work of the Spirit, and guess who gets all the glory when we do that? The Lord. God gets all the glory. Listen to Paul describe it in, in Corinth, verse 12. Let's pick it up there. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. It's not just about meeting the need. But it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. When the people of God surrender their lives to God, God tends to work in miraculous power, and the only appropriate response is to worship him. <laughs> Just imagine, enter yourself into the story. Imagine that you're living in Jerusalem in the first century. 
and you are begging for your sustenance. You're begging for food. And it's incredibly challenging. But you know what? You follow Jesus. He went into a grave and came out again. So it's all good. Right? Your, your God is more powerful than the grave. But, but you know what? After one year goes by and two years go by and three years go by and you're still begging for your food, you start asking some bigger questions. But unbeknownst to you, as you're living out your faith in Jerusalem in the middle of suffering, unbeknownst to you, God is bringing an answer to your prayers up north. This is what's happening in the story. God is stirring the people up in Macedonia and Corinth. He's drawing them into the story of providing for the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And so all of these people are coming together and they're offering what they have. Imagine you're one of these followers of Jesus in Jerusalem and all of a sudden this group shows up from somewhere up north and they say, hey, God stirred within our hearts to give and to offer this to you. Here you go in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine what that does? Do you think that maybe, just maybe, those followers of Jesus in Jerusalem praised God that day? Do you think that maybe they were like, wow, God forgive me for doubting your faithfulness. You are incredible. You're amazing. How, How did those people hundreds of miles north even, like how? How do you do these things? It led to thanksgiving and praise. Paul says God receives all the glory when believers step out in faith in this way. That's incredible. So just a couple of things for us to think about as we conclude this series. Worship team, you guys can come up and join me. This week is Thanksgiving. Uh, built into our kind of cultural rhythm, we have this moment to pause and stop and, and think, man, how has God provided for me? Now, Thanksgiving may be a joyous time for you. Maybe it's like, oh, I'm so excited. Or maybe you're like, oh, I've got to like enter into the crazy brokenness of my family. And it's like painful for you, right? I mean, that's the story for some of us. No matter what your story is, is it possible that we could enter into whatever it is and say, God, how have you been faithful to me in the midst of all of this? And so I just want us to think about that as, as believers this week. Whatever we're entering into, God, help me to see your faithfulness. Help me to be thankful. Help me to praise you in the midst of all of this. The second thing that I want to encourage us to pray our hearts for is, is the arrival on December 17th. This is really an example, more of a modern day example of how we as believers in Oak Harbor are saying there are needs locally and globally that we get to be a part of. And so how can we leverage what we have to serve the needs in Indonesia of young ladies who are caught up in sex trafficking, and now we partner with a ministry that is rescuing them and restoring them to health in Jesus' name? What would it look like to to be stirred to give to something like that? Or to one of the homes that's going to be built next year? Or to a ministry locally, Mighty to Save Ministries, right here in Oak Harbor, that's helping people get their feet under them after being caught in addiction. I'm just asking you to pray. December 17th, it's a party. We come in and we get stoked about being a part of what God is doing. 
Uh, if you notice when you walked in, there's those banners up on the wall. That's just who our partners are and how our funds go out. So take some time to pray. Take, take your life before the Lord and say, what does this look like for me? How can I engage this year? Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning we're grateful that you are faithful. You have showed up time and time again. And, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your kindness and your generosity towards us. That when you looked upon a world that was broken and sinful and suffering, you did not turn your face away, but you entered in to save us. Lord, we're grateful this morning. We're grateful that, that you came to us when we were caught in our sin and you extended a hand of forgiveness and grace. Lord, thank you that we get to be a part of the story that you're writing today. And I pray by your spirit that we would simply live before you in faith. Strengthen us to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me?